Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Bonsai Wire podcast. A little unfamiliar voice here. This is Nathan Bill with the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis. I'm here with a few of my compatriots in the club. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about um, the convention that we're hosting coming up in May of 2024. I'm also here with Jesse Gilbertson. Hey, everybody. I'm Jesse Gilbertson here talking about Bonsai Central. So we have a lot to talk about today. We're excited to be talking with Jonas. Uh, we're also here with our good friend. Hi, this is Tim Hudson. Uh, so I'll be chiming in and, and seeing what uh, I can contribute as well. Thanks. And so the reason we're all chatting today is I've been talking with the St. Louis crew for more than a year now about a big event that's coming up called Bonsai Central that's going to be held um, in spring of 2024. And it's a pretty exciting event for a lot of reasons, which made us think to kind of hear the backstory about what led to the creation of the event, as well as what the plans are for the event. Does that sound fair? It sounds good. So who do we blame for this whole thing? Like whose idea was this crazy Actually, event? Well, it's kind of a long story, actually. Um, you guys probably remember this uh, little global pandemic we had a few years ago. Um, kind of edging out of that, I think, now. Uh, but this actually started as a plan to continue um, a convention system that we were doing, uh, that we initiated with ABS in 2018. Uh, we had a very successful convention that year. Uh, a lot of people were talking about it. There was a lot of hype. Um, and here in the Midwest, some of those conventions can be, they can be a little snoozy. So um, it was just nice to have a fantastic convention. A lot of people remembered it. And so uh, I think we had, we had scheduled with MABA for 2020 or 2021 uh, to have another joint convention. And that just got canceled and pushed and canceled and pushed. Um, and yeah, our club leadership changed quite a bit over the years. Our club never really missed uh, a single meeting. We jumped on Zoom right away. We have a, a great club here in St. Louis, but um, uh, we decided we wanted to go ahead and, and continue, pursue that avenue. And so we're doing everything in-house and with great leadership from Nathan and Tim, we decided we would go ahead and move forward and try to do this on our own. I actually attended that 2018 convention and for the life of me, I have no idea who talked me into that. Yeah. Someone must have strong armed you to come in all across the country, even with some stuff you work some uh, workshops even on that. So I, I'm not really sure how you managed to get all that all the way across the, the country, but we certainly appreciate it. And uh, your workshops were uh, some of the favorites. So I still have some of the trees from that, and we're looking forward to doing something similar with this one, maybe a one step up from the last time we did it in 2018, and we got a lot of exciting things coming down the line for it, so we're, we're really thrilled to talk about it and uh, tell some people about what we have going on. One of the first things that stood out to me about the event is that the, uh, the venue is kind of impossibly perfect for something like the Bonsai Conference. You'll be at the, uh, the is it the uh, Gateway in Collinsville? Yeah, we'll be at the Gateway Center in Collinsville. Um, uh, many people that have been to any of our conventions in the past, we had two Shoheen conventions, um, late 2000s, early 2010s. 
and uh, they were pretty well attended. And it is really a fantastic venue for it. It's a, just a little ways out of the city, about 10, 15 minute drive from downtown. Um, just pretty ideal for all of our needs. Yeah, we have uh, uh, the, the venue being a convention hall, uh, I think actually works really well for what we're doing in that we have um, a lot of space, um, you know, comparing it to uh, some of the other conventions, we have an abundance of space. We also have, uh, you know, a nice climate controlled environment, uh, lots of breakout rooms uh, to have the different meetings and uh, lectures in there as well, too, as well as having our dinners and things right there. So, and we have tons of parking. It's also gonna be uh, very easy for uh, vendors and uh, exhibitors to bring their their trees and wares in to set up. We have a, a ideal setup for that as well too. And just being familiar with it from the past, it, it works really well. So I think it's gonna be a, a great venue. Um, and when we were there last time in 2018, I did take your, your workshop, Jonas. I remember talking to you quite a bit at that time. and. I was just digging up some of the root over, not root over rock, exposed root uh, and working on those recently. So I certainly uh, nice. still still have three or four trees that I either did in the workshop or shortly after, after being inspired by your uh, your workshop at that point. So yeah, I think uh, as uh, one of these guys over here said, I think it's going to be a step up. I say probably a couple steps up from what we did there. So anyone who's familiar with it or heard good things about it, I think that we're going all out this time to to really make sure it's exceptional. Yeah, I remember I met a lot of good friends at that event. It was just one of the more friendly, relaxed vibes of any big bonsai event in the country. And I know my favorite things about the, the venue just has ample space and it's an attractive spot. So it is a convention center. And so it's kind of what you'd expect from a convention center. But I remember the big giant glassy windows kind of outside of where the workshops were down that wing of the building were actually really attractive. But best of all was the fact that all the hotels were just walkable. They were right there. And so um, afterwards, it was really easy to hang out with everybody because no one was very far away. We were all just staying in the same spot. And that that's harder and harder to find at events, whether the national show or the expo to have lodging right on site like that. Yeah, as you can imagine, every convention has its own uh, peculiarities, I guess is the best way to put it. And its own challenges that come with that. And, you know, our convention center is no different. We've got plenty of space for vendors and trees and things like that. We plan to fill the space as much as we can. Uh, we also have plenty of space for workshops to be separate from all that. So we don't have to worry about moving things, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, areas like the uh, rotundra that you're talking about with all those windows and some of the breakout rooms, we're trying to do our best to schedule some programming so that we can make full use of that space while oh, nice. still providing those areas that you were talking about for people to get together and kind of hang out and do some. So in some ways it's has kind of opposite problems that maybe are challenges, I should say, not problems that something like the expo might've had where you were trying to figure out you know, how can we fit the most action into uh, this space that we're allotted? And we're kind of figuring out, we have all this space, how can we make use of the, the best of this space? So it's been a fun, challenging project to work on. And we hope that we have something uh, that everybody's going to, in the community is going to really enjoy. I'll be really curious what you come up with. Um, we haven't talked a whole lot about it yet, but we are looking at alternative venues for the expo right now. And 
and size is the number one reason for that is we just can't, we don't have the ability to grow. And so we're looking at much bigger spaces. And as you get really large, you start thinking, hmm, how are we going to take advantage of those square feet over there? What could we do in that other space off to the side there? And so I'll be curious if you do come up with some creative uses to uh, fill those odds and then um, extra bit of square footage that you've got at the venue. Yeah, we've been trying to kind of come up with different ideas for that. Um, I mean, we can talk about our artists, but we have, uh, you know, plethora of, of, of awesome headline artists. So it's uh, using some of those spaces to make sure that those people uh, have more opportunities to interact with the participants uh, of that. So whether they're different kind of um, breakout little uh, mini demos or, um, lectures or things like that, that are just kind of free for people to jump in and, uh, you know, be able to interact with these artists when they're not doing the workshops or the, the main headline demos and those kind of things as well, too. So that's kind of one of the, uh, reasons why we have, um, such a, such a, you know, I think great list of headliners here is with that space, we're able to utilize them in so many different ways, but it's, that's kind of one of the creative, um, challenges as well, too, is how do we, uh, we have the space to utilize those artists. How do we do that to make sure that there's all these different uh, ways to interact with the artists and get that uh, uh, face time and educational opportunity from them? So why don't you run through the list? Who are the headliners? All right. Well, we do, we do have a number of really great headliners. And before I really get into that, one thing I do want to say is um, you know, we are excited because of the space. We, as as Tim was saying, we can get pretty creative with how we utilize the uh, the artists as well. So we're going to have a lot of different interactive sort of situations with the artists doing mini pop up demos. Um, some of the workshops are actually not necessarily traditional workshops, but they're just quick little bring your own tree. You get a ten minute sort of critique with the artists. You get a lot of face time with the artists, and so we have. An amazing lineup, um, starting with Bjorn Bjornholm. Um, we just uh, just spent some time with Bjorn up in Chicago. Got to chat with him quite a bit. Um, it was before his big announcement that um, he was going to be moving back to Japan. Um, and kudos to that guy for not spilling the beans because I think it was about two days later he spread the the news. But um, so we were ex very excited. It's probably going to be uh, his last event here in the U.S. as a you know while he's still living here anyway um yeah i did confirm that with him at nationals uh i i mentioned that i think the week before he's at another show but our show is going to be the the last one he does before he you know kind of finishes up uh moving over to japan so we're pretty excited about that he's worked with a lot of lot of artists here in in st louis uh we have a great relationship with him and you know we're we're glad we can host him for a last time um and then our our other we want to say homegrown just because we've all become really great friends with him. Um, Tyler Sherrod, who uh, leads, leads a uh, study group here with, with a number of us in St. Louis. And we've developed a really great relationship with Ty Tyler. Uh, we've got Andrew Robin Robson. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, we're actually, <laughs> we're actually quite good friends. Andrew uh, grew up here in St. Louis and joined the uh, club with us. Uh, was in the study group with us, with Michael Hagedorn. And so, uh, we're really happy that Andrew is going to come and we're going to try to twist Jeff's arm to come as well, his father. Yeah. Nice. So when we had that show in 2018 that we've been uh, talking about, 
Jeff was the president. Uh, Andrew's father, Jeff Robson, was president at that time, and uh, did of a the lot. St. Louis Club. Yeah, of the St. Louis uh, Club. So he was uh, uh, very involved in that. And uh, I know I talked to him recently. So I think we're gonna we're gonna. I know someone has to take care of the trees back at home, but uh, we're gonna twist his arm to make sure he can make it too. Nice. And then, uh, yeah, and then next up, we've got we have a couple of Europeans. Uh, we have. Mauro Stenberger coming. He also does a lot of work here in the Midwest and actually throughout the country. Uh, so we're excited to have him back. He's worked with a number of us in St. Louis as well. Um, and then one we're really excited about, we're still um, working on some of the logistics with, with her is Maria Hajik, which will be her first, first time here in the U.S. Uh, as a bonsai professional. Uh, so we're excited to get all that finalized with her. And then, um, and then everybody's favorite, we have Young Choi coming in. Uh, she's going to be doing a number of Kusumono workshops and, uh, you know, just, we're just really excited. So I think the lineup is pretty fantastic. And that really just is getting into the main headliners. We, we have a number of peripheral people, a number of vendors. Uh, so we're pretty excited about all of that. How did you come up with this slate? You know, I'm thinking one frame for this whole discussion is kind of how to put on a bonsai convention. And we've thought through a lot of these same things when working on um, the expo. How, how did you decide, you know, what what is your list going to be and who are you going to talk to first in terms of uh, who to invite? Um, yeah, sorry. Um, I wanted to go a little bit on that just because um, I think now's a good time to just say, you know, here in the Midwest, uh, we don't have as much opportunity uh, to see a lot of the professionals. Many of the professionals are on the coasts um, and in the Midwest, a lot of our cities are spread out. And so I think we decided really as a club and as a board, uh, we needed to go big. We were very successful with our ABS convention in 2018. And uh, we did have a, a couple of artists for that um, but we were also coupled with ABS and, and their following and, and their um, marketing. So we decided if we're going to go on our own, we may as well just kind of let's go big. Let's get people to come out. You know, one or two artists is a draw, but we have a number of artists that are all folk have different fields of focus. And I think that's kind of really why we wanted to do it. And I'll, I'll jump in here a bit about it. Uh, you know, as I've been mentioning, every convention is a little bit different. Anytime you do something like this, it, the way we run it is certainly different than nationals and the expo and all that, the, the way we have it designed. And one of the reasons for that is because we surveyed our membership and we, you know, talked amongst ourselves as the board and we tried to come up with a ranked list of what were the most important things to get out of a, a convention in St. Louis. And I don't remember all the things on the list, but there are things like, you know, making money from the convention and having good workshops and et cetera, et cetera. And far and away, the number one that always came out on top was just bringing a, you know, top class bonsai experience, uh, regardless of if we broke even or lost a little money or whatever, uh, the everyone's main focus in our club was to provide that experience. And so that was our, our uh, permission, I guess, to go out and go big on this and try to provide a lot of prize money to get uh, as many great submissions of trees as we could get and to go out and get several artists that now we sometimes 
worry that we won't be able to fill all their time for all three days, but we have a lot of great helpers that have been working on scheduling and all the other stuff that goes along with it to fill out that lineup and keep things moving. So, Yeah. One thing that a lot of people might not know is that often when you're running a convention and bringing in not only a small number of great talent, but as in your case, a big number of really fantastic people, often it involves finding them other work in the area. And that's totally invisible from the convention goers perspective. Were you able to bring people in just for the event or are a lot of these people coming to town as part of um, larger trips to the region? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Um, we have relationships with some of these artists, um, you know, working with different club members and area people in the area with uh, Maro and Tyler. Tyler, especially, he's actually in town now working with some of our club members and he comes up regularly. You know, Andrew, I think it's part of, you know, with him being a uh, kind of a, a homegrown uh, talent here and uh, this being his... Uh, where he grew up, uh, it was natural to kind of reach out to him, and and I'm I'm sure he's going to be uh, working with some of us, or or at least uh, enjoying kind of a homecoming as it is for him. And I know we have a relationship with Bjorn. I'm sure Bjorn at this point uh, is more focused on moving around that time, so yeah. we probably won't have as much of that. Uh, and Maria was. Maria was very much uh, a challenge as far as kind of nailing her down and coming, uh, especially as we're having most of these talks during COVID as well too, getting uh, uh, people to, to come in. Yeah. And I think uh, um, just to go off of that, I think Mara does have uh, a lot of work in Chicago around that time uh, as well too. And throughout the Midwest, I think when he comes in for this, I, I my understanding is he usually it kind of hits a lot of his regular clients there as well too. So making sure that uh, these trips for the European there especially is you know worthwhile for them uh it's uh yeah it's 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 been a challenge uh, uh not a challenge but it's been uh, i don't know enjoyable to do it's a little bit of coordination yeah and it's uh it definitely is and I, I'll, I'll kind of just go off of what nathan said um you know, I think one of the the aspects of this that is different as nathan hit on was when we're when we were proposing this and doing this, and it's uh, essentially the board members uh, of our, you know, uh, club here uh, talking about what our goals are, uh, like Nathan mentioned, really, we looked at this as, okay, the 2018 convention was successful monetarily, and that's great. It gave us kind of some money in the bank to, to do this. But then with COVID, not having opportunities to go uh, and see shows, um, interact with artists, do all those things. Um, and also another thing is we, uh, around that time, 2018 or so, we also, uh, we had a local bonsai nursery that um, uh, casts bonsai and they uh, closed up and uh, retired and, and, and moved away too. So there was kind of a little bit of this void between um allowing our club members or giving them the opportunities to experience bonsai on a different level. And as you know, uh, during COVID, there was so many, so much new interest. So we have all these new people in the club who haven't had the opportunities to interact with artists, uh, to see high quality trees, uh, do those kind of things. So providing somewhere in the Midwest to, with a event that is of that, the quality that we're, you know, striving for 
is first and foremost a benefit to our club and we look at it as that we you know we're not again trying to make a profit as a primary uh, motivator we looked at this as okay even if we lose money that's okay this is what the club is designed for this is what our money is spent on to give our members this kind of uh, experience it, but if we do make it profitable it makes it easier to justify doing this as a repeated event as well too have you put much thought into doing this on an ongoing basis? Right now, we're just trying to make it through the first one, as I'm sure that you can. Uh, oh, I can relate. That, yeah, <laughs> you can relate from holding the expo that while you're in the the middle of all the planning and the headaches and the uh, the million to do list that things on your to do list that you have, it's really hard to think about doing it again in any length of time. But but we have talk briefly about it we've we've talked about it potentially evolving a bit at, over the years you know this might be the first iteration of it we've talked about making some changes over time uh, to potentially bring in some other aspects that we're interested in um, so so it is something we've talked about but it's hard to commit to that right away uh, from the very beginning though we've since we decided this is more an experience thing for our, our members and everyone else in the Midwest area. We've kind of been going with the theme of bringing the best to the Midwest. And that's sort of what we're trying to do. We feel like that the coasts are frequently serviced by a lot of uh, professionals and shows and things like that. Uh, it's where the highest concentration of trees likely uh, reside. Uh, and then at times, you know, the Midwest can be passed over as they sometimes call it <laughs> flyover country, but uh, we wanted to kind of confront that and take it on and see if we could get uh, really high art quality artists and workshops and vendors all to come to the St. Louis area, which is just about in the middle of the country um, to hold a show. And depending on the success of this show, we will, we will discuss what we're going to do in the future with it. But there's certainly a lot of ideas that we've formulated about, what type of show it could be in the future, uh, even if we weren't able to take those those steps right now. Yeah, I know when we were building the expo, the idea was not to build a show, but to build a system that could put on shows. And because we knew that'd be the only way to be able to do more than one. And so we were always thinking, it's less about, well, what do we do to scrape something together for this one time? And it's more like, if we were to be doing this on an ongoing basis, what is a a volunteer platform, a backdrop, a website, or whatever it happened to be, we always were thinking, how do we make this some kind of a system that could support itself over time? I'm not going to say we succeeded on any of those, but we definitely were thinking about it. And when I think of the energy and effort that's gone into your event already, it's kind of staggering. I mean, you have a beautiful functional website. The scope of your event is so much bigger than what we did because you're bringing in top tier talent from all over the world and then you're running this giant workshop program on top of that. I mean, this is a giant, giant um, bunch of work. And like you say, when you partnered with ABS, you had some support in terms of registration and some, you know, automatic people that they can, that typically go to those kinds of events. And this time you're doing it all de novo from scratch on your own. And so that gives you a lot more flexibility, but it means you have a lot more pressure to get all those things right. I'm sure none of this is lost on any of you. No, but we appreciate <laughs> that, that other people recognize the amount of work that goes into it, you know, from time to time, as you definitely know, because 
you know, we feel like that we take a lot of um, inspiration from what you did with the expo and the way that uh, you have developed the bonsai community over your uh, career working with um, bonsai. But it, it, it sometimes is hard being the one that's pushing forward to um, make some large event like this happen. And it ends up taking time away from your own trees and things like that, that, oh, uh, you know, you, you, you sometimes struggle to get the correct amount of watering in even for the day, not to mention wiring or repotting or whatever else you have to do with them. So it's certainly difficult to find the time, especially when we all have different jobs, but our board has been pretty amazing with, uh, all the work, uh, Christian Onkin's been doing our, our website. He's been doing a fantastic job with it. Mike Vasek has been working on all the, the scheduling, um, for setting up who's doing what, when, and what's going on all over the place. Uh, Rosemary has been tackling all the financial side of stuff and making sure that, uh, Tim, Jesse, and I aren't just spending all of our money without anything left <laughs> in the bank. And, Ruth's been handling all the hospitality things and stuff like that. We've got a whole lot of people who've been helping out with workshop material. It's stationed three or four places across the, the city to uh, keep it all going. But one of the questions I did have for you during this podcast was could, if you could tell us and talk a little bit about your volunteer system, because it's one thing to do all the planning work. We can kind of contain that within the board, but then uh, with the boots on the ground effort, which is going to start coming up in the next few months, uh, I'm sure you had to have a small army of people to help out on that side with the expo. Yeah. The, um, one of the challenges is most of the big events you've heard of have a built-in army of people that can help make it happen. Bill has just awesome support for the national show from his local club and from his uh, Monday senior crew. He's just got fantastic, fantastic support baked right in. When clubs hold events, you just expect all of the members of that club to chip in. And um, for a lot of one-off events, there tend to be uh, just a built-in group of whether it's customers or members that can help make something happen. Um, that's where these events come from. We didn't have that. And from early on, that was one of the things that scared at least me the most was that I just thought, is anyone going to want to help with this? Because it's kind of a big ask. And in short, we did get, you know, around a hundred something people to volunteer, which was absolutely fantastic. And that's why the event happened It's because we got all that support. But what's interesting is we sold out a couple weeks before the event and we still had open volunteer spots. So despite hearing people express their disappointment over not being able to buy tickets, they still wouldn't sign up for a single security slot, which would have got them free admission to the event. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's hard to get volunteers. And I know for me, one of the big things that stands out about your event is every single thing you said about bonsai in the Midwest or between the coasts more broadly, it's so true. I've been to lots of events at various places and it is unbelievable how far the average person drives to go to a bonsai event all over the Midwest, whether you're in Ohio, Missouri, Michigan, or Tennessee, it's just kind of a given that you're going to spend half a day to a day in the car. And you won't, it won't even occur to you to complain about it because that's just what anyone in that community has to do to attend an event. And so by being the um, tent pole, by being the thing that can kind of hold together that community by putting on a big event, I really applaud that because I think that you'll get a ton of support from that whole area. 
Now, will they drive a full day to volunteer for security shifts? That's, I guess that's the bigger question. But thankfully, you've got a huge and um, supportive club to help make some of those basic needs happen. Yeah, as Nathan was saying, we do have a, a pretty amazing club, so much support on our board, but then within the ranks of the club as well. And, you know, the three of us are some of the younger members of the club as is. Um, you know, over the last decade, one of our goals as a club was to bring in younger membership, uh, more women. And uh, we've seen seen a lot of that. In fact, our club has been as as a 50 year old organization has been very successful. Um, and we're, we're pretty fortunate as a club. I, I want to kind of talk about that now, if, if, I, if you guys don't mind. But um, uh, we actually every year have a big bonsai show that is viewed by over 40,000 people uh, for one of the largest, I think it actually is the largest Japanese heritage festivals in the country at our botanical garden. And so we constantly have an influx of new volunteers or new membership that is um, seeing our trees on display, uh, seeing our club booth uh, where we, are, we can vend at the event. Um, and so we are always pulling in new membership and there's always a diamond in the rough every, every year or so we get the, those diehard hardcore members that really catch the bug. And I think the best example of that would be Jeff Robson and Andrew Robson, um, and then all of us. Um, but we've actually formed a pretty core group of people that just got interested through that. But, um, because of that, we've just had a very involved membership base, even throughout the, the COVID years. And so I have no doubt that we're going to be able to pull this off really well with our, our own club volunteers. Yeah. You'd ask about the system we used. We actually had, um, uh, one of our core kind of organizers from the Santa Cruz Club, uh, Helen Clay, came up with this uh, software she's used a lot called Sign Up Genius. And it's just this wonderful free software we use to allow volunteers to sign up. And that pretty much saved our butts because it allowed people to go online, sign up for spots. And that's how we were able to kind of coordinate a really distributed group of people. And we had volunteers actually from all over the country. We had people flying in from across the coast and from Hawaii to volunteer. And, um, you know, we didn't know any of these people ahead of time and the software just made it really easy for them to sign up. And, uh, we're familiar with that software. We, we use it as a club as well. So oh, nice. That is a really nice one. Sign up genius. Hopefully we can get somebody coming in from Hawaii to help out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, I still, I owe Robin big time. He was one of the volunteers <laughs> that worked as hard as anyone there. And so, uh, hats off to you, Robin, if you're listening. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I will say it's uh, nice to see some of the registrations come in already and uh, for for attendance and seeing those come from, you know, states all over all over the country and outside of the country as well, too, already. So we already have 10 different states represented in the registrations that have signed up. That's uh, awesome. And um, we're looking forward to hitting many more along the way as uh, the event gets a little bit closer. Okay, yeah, let's so talk already, about. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say we're already starting to see some of that, uh, you know, buy-in and involvement, excitement coming from, com you know, bonsai communities across the country and in Canada. So it's great to see that. And even I was talking to someone who might come back from Australia to come to that event as well too. So oh, it's exciting wow. to, to do that and see those that excitement. 
Yeah, and actually, you know, we shamelessly plugged this event. We were already doing it when we came to Bonsai Central and um, Expo. Our, yeah, the Bonsai Expo, <laughs> the Pacific Expo uh, last year. And I ran into somebody I'm familiar with who I know has shown at the National and uh, cornered him in the lobby and mentioned it and was like, hey, you have to bring in a show and bring in a tree for the show. And so we are actively reaching out. We want this exhibition to be top notch for the Midwest. Uh, so we're actively reaching out. We know of trees we want to see in the show, um, as you've probably did with with the expo. Um, so we're we're asking artists to submit as soon as they can. Um, but we are actually seeking out specific trees as well because we want we want the best represented that we can get. You're drawing from such a giant area. There's actually a fantastic amount of really top tier trees that you don't always get to see together just because there are only so many magnets to pull in trees from, you know, more than half a day's drive away. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing what you all come up with. Um, what um, have you had much success on the open calls yet? Or are you still getting the word out on the open calls for submissions? We know of, we're still getting the word out. Of course, we wanted to, we're trying a little bit different way of accepting trees. Instead of making a hard deadline, we're going to do a, a rolling acceptance where, uh, you know, it benefits to get the trees in early. It helps us to be able to plan where we're going to put everything, but also, you know, helps the people submitting trees to be able to know whether their tree is going to be in the event or not. So we're on January 1st, whatever submissions we have, we're going to go through them and we're going to tell the people uh, whose trees we accept that they're in the show. Um, and then we'll continue doing that until we, we run out of slots uh, that are in the show. But we know of probably 20 to 30 trees that are definitely going to be in the show or are going to come. And we're, I uh, can't wait to get more submissions from the the community. I, I know that these guys have been talking to all their friends and hitting up things like, the, you know, the national show and the, the Chicago's annual show um, to try to talk to people who have trees. And, and I know that they're going to end up coming and it's going to be a great show and probably will end, in, end up running into the age old problem of having too many trees and figuring out where to put them, uh, which is why we're trying that rolling um, system so that as we get to, you know, X number of trees, we can say, well, we better start reeling it back a bit, dialing it in, seeing um, if the three people that we know of that haven't submitted them yet can get their trees in. So we're really lucky that we, we have a lot of connections, not only in the area, but a, across the Midwest and beyond. Uh, as Jesse, I think mentioned, we all work closely with, with Tyler and he works closely with the, a, a large group in Atlanta. And I know they're bringing at least 10 something trees. Nice. So, uh, through our connections, we we've got a lot of irons in the fire, let's say on the, the tree side of things. Um, let's also mention the uh, the prize money uh, specifically for best in show is quite high and that really is to encourage that high quality uh, we're offering twenty five hundred dollars for top prize so uh, it's a pretty big deal for us to shell that out and we're excited to do it because we know it's going to up up the level of what 
people want to want to show and the kind of work they want to put into what they're going to show. So um, we've been spoiled these last number of years being able to see the national ex- or na- national exhibition and the Pacific Expo, and we want to be able to make sure we're bringing high quality trees to the Midwest that people can see and be inspired by because we certainly have them. And the other thing is it's a little bit different time of year than some of those other shows, you know, it's in, in May. So a lot of trees that might not be looking their tip top best at the August, November timeframe may look great in in May. So it provides a different seasonal opportunity to show Kusumono or, uh, you know, trees that are just coming into their growing season and things like that around here. So yeah, you'll get some beautiful foliage and some color as well, probably. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a set idea about how many trees will be in the exhibit or will that depend on, are you going to try to maintain a certain level of quality and let the quality level of submissions kind of determine the size of the event? Yeah, I think the uh, emphasis is going to be on quality. Uh, we've had this discussion. I'm sure you guys had uh, similar discussions as you were planning the expo as well, too. Uh, we're not limited for space. So it's size, but we also don't feel obligated to, you know, fill up with trees. Um, I think more of the emphasis will be on making sure that this is a top quality exhibition and really being inspired by um, the Pacific Expo, being inspired by nationals. And we're striving for that kind of quality of submissions and trying to set the bar high there. So, um, you know, we, we, are looking for that. But then also um, we are, and I don't want to neglect this point here too, is that we're going to be accepting Kusumono and Suaseki as well too. So both of those Uh will be shown as well. Now those are a little bit smaller niche communities, but reaching out to people in that community or anyone who's listening, you know, that's an emphasis of what we're doing as well too. And that will be part of the the prize pool and uh, featured in our uh, exhibition uh, as well too. So uh, that's kind of another added dimension of it is, yeah, the high quality trees. But I know uh, personally, I've been kind of reaching out to some different people uh, who um, have those super high quality stones and are looking to, you know, kind of really display, um, really great Suaseki in the way that, you know, Nationals does and um, Kusumono in the way that it has been done before as well, too. So I know Young Cho is really happy to uh, help us on that regard and uh, to hear that we want to feature that in the event as well. Um, but yeah, I think uh, just in general, we're going to we're going to be shooting for a high bar for quality and quantity is not as uh, important of a factor. Are you all the core group that's determining which trees get into this show? Uh, yes, and a, a select member of board members um, initially. And then if we really hit an overload where we are tapping our, our artists coming in as far as if we really need to make some hard choices. So I think, I think we're on the right trail with that. And then with what Tim mentioned with Kusumono and Suaseki and then everything else as far as quality. I mean, we really want people to want to come to this, to want to make that long drive, to want to fly. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's really the goal. We want people to come and, you know, I guess this is a good place where we can just talk about our vendor list because that for me, most conventions I go to, I want to see vendors. I want to, I want to go and buy some stuff. 
So, <laughs> so we're working, we're working pretty hard to make this into a marketplace as well, where people can come and expect to buy high quality trees, starter material, pots, stands, a little bit of everything. So, you know, I think it's pretty exciting um, to yeah, These really are not small lists of people you're putting together. Oh, no. You've got <laughs> April, Vicky, now, and Byron just on the pots, like just as a starter. Like that's a really nice selection of containers there, pretty much as good as you'll find anywhere in the country. Yeah, and you can uh, add to that list now, Waldo Street. And I awesome. was waiting to hear back from uh, Roy uh, um, Minari as well, too. Um, I he contacted me about being interested as well. So I think we're like just as a example, our potters there are you know top notch. But we currently have around twenty five different vendors that are confirmed. Uh, most of them are on the website. Um, and then we're just building from there. We have a lot of other interests. And I know I talked to you about this, Jonas, and it's kind of a, it, to me, since I'm in charge of vending, it, 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 my biggest challenge has been kind of making sure that we have a well-rounded uh, accompaniment of vendors that kind of can provide a range of things, whether it's trees, pots, um, accompaniments like suiseki or stands, um, different levels of trees, uh, pots that are, you know, imported from Japan versus, you know, the American artists as well too. really providing that well-rounded uh, without overdoing any one particular category. And um, that's been a, a, a challenge for me and something I continue to kind of um, work on in trying to make sure that we're providing uh, not just plenty of vendors and high quality vendors, but a well-rounded, um, you know, group of, of, uh, different wares for people to, to buy. And it looks like you've done a great job of that because you do have a stand maker. You do have tools, you have Satsuki, you've got a whole bunch of different people with trees. And so, um, th that's very real. It's funny. We ran the most Spartan event you can imagine. It's pretty much a show and a place to shop. And if you don't have the shopping, no one's going to go to the show for the most part. And so, uh, You've got the entertainment and the education on top of that, but I think you've, you're off to an awesome start with the uh, the vendor list you've got already. Yeah, from the very beginning, we were we were super set on having a a great list of vendors, and Tim's been taking that on pretty much by himself, and he's done a fantastic job with it, getting commitments from people you know halfway across the country, uh, which we're really happy about, but. As you know, Jonas, it's it's always difficult deciding, you know, do we add another potter? Or do we add another tree person? Do we add more tools? Um, you know, what are people going to be interested in? What would they like to purchase? And it, there's also now the added factor of where are these people coming from? Are they going to be able to take a big tree home? Are they going to be able to mm -hmm. get a pot back to their house and things like that? So we're trying to be very cognizant of both the people that are coming to the show and what they're going to be interested in, in taking away, but also, you know, providing that service to the local area where we are going to have a lot of people driving um, to the show, maybe from hours away, but they should be able to get the, the trees back that they purchased at the show. Yeah. We were thinking of it in the same kind of fashion where we wanted to bring in vendors that don't normally vend in the area. So for all of the local people, they would have access mm -hmm. to new 
um, wares. And then same thing for the people coming out of town. We wanted to make sure they had access to people that they don't see on the national circuit since we have a lot of the same people at those events as well. And so um, you're right. It's an interesting balance act. And as you know, you get, you sign on some people, you can kind of build out from there, but I, it feels good to provide a curator vendor experience. And mostly the vendors just want to participate and support the event. And so it's nice as we've got a strong and recently it seems really growing vendor community across the U.S. Yeah, it really is incredible. And so I think, you know, one thing we've been encouraging our club members is funny, every beginning of every club meeting, we're like, hey, sock away a little cash every week or every month or whatever you can, because <laughs> this is coming and this is your opportunity. I mean, to find some really high quality stuff. So everybody out there listening to, you know, start socking it away because we're going to have some amazing artists here. We're going to have amazing vendors. Um, and then I think, you know, really we're going to have some amazing trees too in our, in our workshops. And I think, you know, that's one thing about this convention that's a little different than let's say the national or the expo is in the Midwest, you know, there's still kind of that expectation of not necessarily education. We always want to provide that, but, um, you know, it's, there's been a kind of a traditional role that the, uh, convention plays as far as education, where it's an opportunity to work with an artist and get some decent material or work on decent material. So, uh, you know, we've been working hard on that too. And so, you know, I think, I think we're really on the right track to put on a pretty amazing event. Well, talk about that a little more because you all have been actually putting in a ton of work trying to get the material for this. Um, that's gotta be one of the biggest challenges of the whole event. Um, finding people to say yes to headline an event and doing the logistics that's work, but at least it seems doable finding and hunting down trees and people to take care of those trees and make sure they're healthy. That's hard. There's no gimme wherever you are in the country for doing that. And so how did you all tackle that? That's when we talk about this potentially being a recurring event, that's probably the biggest sticking point is how we would bring along and develop that material on a recurring basis, you know, every two, three years, whatever we've decided on doing the convention for. And so, uh, you know, a lot of this material is sort of legacy material that the club has had around for some time. Uh, some of it we sourced recently and we kind of just got lucky that we happened to part upon growers who had some really nice uh, material. Um, but sourcing material is hard. You got to always keep your eyes open. Uh, Jesse's the best at it among us sitting here and uh, among probably almost anyone uh, that I know. So we are very fortunate we have Jesse with us to uh, he, he's very good about networking, making connections, but he also has that fantastic eye for this might not look the best right now, but if I make a few cutbacks here and there and grow it out for a year, this will be perfect workshop material. So he's done the bulk of that for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit of a challenge and space being kind of the, the top part of it. But, um, you know, we, we started, as I mentioned, planning this convention years ago. And I think I bought, I bought a block of ginkgos from a local grower. I don't know, probably in 2019. <laughs> and, you know, quickly realized, okay, well, these can't sit in these pots. You know, they went into Anderson flats, they got cut back. They, got repotted a third time and suddenly we have you know some very high quality material and you know it's it's, it's possible it's doable to do it in-house 
Uh, but it is a lot of work. It's a lot of investment. I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, but yeah, the space, the overwintering, the how are we going to, you know, make sure we're keeping this block alive, especially we're going to put it live on yeah, a website upcoming. to sell it, you know, yeah. as a workshop. Um, and so, you know, we've spread a lot of material out between us and some of the other board members and and good growers in the club that we know can sit on material and do the right cutbacks and fertilization. Um, but I think, you know, sor sourcing it the year of is just not the way, way to do it. I think you really have to have the foresight and planning. And so as we look at how we would, you know, maybe evolve this in the future, you know, it's like, okay, well, maybe we do continue offering really high quality workshops, maybe a few less of them, but, um, but yeah, we got to get on that material sourcing now. And so that's, that's the one thing that's been in the back of our mind and we've been having conversations about it, but we really want to see how this goes. So I think we did just buy a block of like 600 trees too. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that's going to go. <laughs> right. this, this guy, uh, he agreed to overwinter it for one more year, but we have paid for it. So Wow. What kind of beach is that that you have for the um, workshop? Do you, do you know what kind of, what, which species of beach that is? uh i i don't remember the specific cultivar name it's sand something or sand uh yeah that was uh sourced by one of our local uh nurseries who uh, actually you know goes on buying trips every year um and one of our club members spotted the material and so he went ahead and, and went back to his source and bought some more in um so i'm let me look and see. That was oh, that's cool. outside of my sourcing. While they're looking that up, uh, I, I'm just going to chime in here too, just to give uh, Jesse especially some kudos for what he's done to um, uh, organize the the material for all these workshops. It uh, Here it is. It looks like uh, Sandrone European Beach. So a specific, how do you, how does that spell? Sand Road. Sand Road. So. It's it's from Iseli or Isley. Isley. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. So, and it, it's 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 amazing what goes into that. That is logistically probably one of the hardest things to do. And Jesse, you've been in bonsai how long now? Uh, I guess going on 24, 25 years uh, yeah. since college. <laughs> So he's, uh, you know, an old man here, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He started since uh, he was young, but uh, he in that time has a lot of connections with different people and he's been able to uh, call in favors and talk to people. And this is, you know, locating the material that we're using uh, goes back pre-COVID. Uh, so as you heard him talking about, we've been sitting on a lot of this stuff for, oh, is this going to be club workshop stuff? Is it going to be, you know, what do we end up doing with this? The club has it. And then, you know, a lot of it, well, this makes perfect workshop for the convention, but we're, we have already been thinking about what are we going to do in another couple of years if we decide to have this again. So it's a, a mix of, uh, you know, calling in favors, always being on the lookout for it. We have, um, again, like this local nursery that goes on, on buying trips. And it's great that the owners of the nursery are, are bonsai people. Uh, and although that's not their primary business, they can kind of help us source that. We have relationships with these artists that help us do that. It's really pulling from everything that you can. I mean, it's to the point that I've, um, 
I'm looking at some of the material that I've been growing up for seven, eight years as potentially a lot for if we do this again. And then, uh, you know, we'll do collecting trips um, as well, too. So it's like, okay, well, you know, between you and me and this other club member, are we willing to kind of use some of the stuff that we've collected and make that into a workshop? So we have, um, it's that's a, a huge logistic um, challenge and, uh, we're we're calling in a lot of favors and i think we have excellent material for this uh this upcoming event and then uh, we're already thinking about future ones in case uh you know we move forward with that as well too and fortunately the board's been pretty good with me too about me just buying stuff and uh asking for forgiveness later <laughs> <laughs> well that's kind of what it takes because you never know when you're gonna you know stumble upon an opportunity to source yeah, of that material it really is i mean even buying your own individual trees i mean i've learned the hard way like if you if you him and haw on something that's a good thing you know you you're probably gonna miss out so um you know we're actively looking all the time and you know fortunately we're actively looking for our own internal club education so a lot of that stuff i mean we're offering high quality stuff to our own club for for some of these events or, or for some of our in-house workshops and I think one of the big things on growing stuff out for the convention and, and in-house too, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is, holy cow, we got to get this out of that soil. And so, <laughs> you know, you can imagine, you know, if you're looking at programming for next year, well, you probably should have potted that last year, you know? And so a lot of times we're running into, um, okay, we've got this material, let's, we need, we need soil. Um, let's get this potted and we're going to have to grow it another year. And this goes in next year's rotation. So fortunately we've been doing that enough that we can provide some of that material for this convention. And you've had kind of support from, I know St. Louis has had a steady study group with various professionals for a lot of years now. And so it's probably second nature to know, kind of what it takes to get a tree onto the cycle where to get it to the point where it can be a productive workshop tree. Correct. Yeah. We, we've had a steady stream of people. We have eight to nine people that almost continually have a study group that meets several times a year in our, our sensei has changed over the years. But it's always been someone that, uh, we highly value their artistic work and we, we don't take that choice lightly of who we, we bring in to work on our trees. So now when was the Kimura convention in St. Louis? Huh, that would have been with that, that like been, early two thousands. That would have been the BCI ABS yes. joint convention. I think it was 2004. And that, that, right. that was actually the first convention I ever got to see i just attended it as a uh, i just got to view the trees on display um i was, it was a good show oh gosh uh it was amazing. i actually flew out to prep trees for that show <laughs> well as a young practitioner just getting into it it really showed me kind of the level i mean some of the stuff back then you saw in books felt like they were unattainable even some of the stuff online uh, but when you see it in person and when you see vendors that have amazing material, you start realizing, okay, this is within reach. Uh, there are people that are doing this here in, in town. Um, yeah. And so that was a big deal for me. And I hope, 
you know, Bonsai Central is that for the next generation. Well, that's what made me think of it is the trees were very different back then. There were a lot more imported trees from Japan. And this year I would expect far more homegrown bonsai to be in the event. It's funny, my two big takeaways from the Kimura Convention were, yes, it was a fantastic club, um, big, strong, good club, and surprising how many members are still in it to this day. And my other big takeaway was uh, steak and shake. I think those were the two big uh, takeaways from the event. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, you know, you're speaking of imported trees. That was, that was one of the things we went back and forth with about this convention is uh, we, were, we were thinking about you know, maybe doing something you want to call it gimmicky or just like a theme to the convention. So we're thinking about just having, um, you know, North American natives or some sort of focus on uh, quote unquote native species after listening to your podcast with, who that, with uh, Dylan or somebody um, where you guys talked about natives. I, I, I didn't think of all those good points that you guys brought up in that one about you know, it really just depends on what little microclimate you live in on what is native. You know, like, I, I loved your definition about sharing a political boundary. Um, but uh, there, there is definitely a, a push towards moving away from imported stuff and more towards things that we've grown here for many, many years. And now that the club's been around for 50 years and we have trees that have been passed down, uh, we just... Uh, a longtime member of ours who's getting a little bit older and not able to take care of a lot of his trees has has donated a lot of trees for the convention and uh, for our club auction and things like that. So we're excited to, you know, sort of pass those on and uh, showcase those to other people. And um, it, it's, it's fun to see how it evolves from year to year to year uh, as we see different iterations of, you know, the same art form. No, it's really neat to watch that unfold um, over the years um, to have that kind of history. And it's really not the years as much as it's the years plus people doing it at a high level and doing it really actively. And you're one of a small number of communities around the country that has been putting in the effort, you know, decade after decade. Are you going to be doing any tie-in events or encouraging people to visit the gardens when they're in town for the event? Um, we will we'll have a number of things listed on on the website as far as some of the local sightseeing stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting the way the convention is is set up. Uh, we have so much going on. Uh, we really want people to be there and feel like they can participate at any time. So you know, there's going to be pop up demos and all kinds of lectures and stuff going on. Uh, the vendor hall, of course. Um, as well as the workshops, but we want those, we want our artists um, out uh, shaking hands, rubbing elbows with people and just being in the mix of it all. And I think, you know, so there's, there's a lot going on in-house uh, as we look further out, we certainly have some ideas um, and we're still kind of working on how, how that would work logistically as far as getting people to the botanical garden, which actually has, uh, I think North America's largest uh, Japanese garden, Sewa N, uh, which is a pretty incredible garden if you haven't uh, visited it because it really encompasses a lot of different aspects of Japanese garden design. So it's, it's really worth seeing. Um, probably one of the biggest drawbacks and one of the things we're going to try to address as 
as the three of us, but also um, other board members and people that are interested is there is no public display of bonsai here in St. Louis. And uh, I think that is going to be kind of a, a focus of the club and other interested parties as we move forward into the upcoming decades, because there's a lot of fantastic trees and we want to make sure people are seeing this and we're carrying this on in our community. We have a very strong club for the Midwest and I feel like we need that legacy. So, you know, it's a little off topic, but um, for some, you know, it's on my mind all the time and, you know, something I wanted to. Yeah. Just is talking about the huge Japanese garden they have there. They even have some, permanent collection bonsai trees there just nobody gets to ever see them because they don't have a space to display them so anybody from mobot if you're listening to this i doubt it but uh, hit us up we'll uh we'll uh, figure out a way to get a permanent display there because we'd love to have it yeah i don't know how well known the your botanical garden is outside of the area but it truly is mind-bogglingly big and beautiful it's just one of the largest areas i'm i just remember everything was so clean and curated to within an inch of its life it's just you walk oh you turn another corner and look over a little hillside and it's like oh look more water features and more perfection and no weeds anywhere and here's another one and another one it just kind of keeps going and going it's such an awesome opportunity to get people interacting with it is amazing it was founded in like 1859 it is one of the (laughs) oldest botanical gardens in the country so i mean it is pretty incredible um and i worked there for a number of years and we would go overseas and see like kew gardens or some of these other botanical gardens and nitpick all the weeds and hoses left out and stuff you don't see that at this garden this garden is really well done so um you know i highly recommend people do visit it when they're in town um and certainly we have a number of other offerings i mean st louis is one of the you know, premier beer cities. So, you know, if you like beer, there's breweries everywhere. Uh, there's fun nightlife. There's all kinds of stuff going on in St. Louis. So yeah, the architecture yeah. buffs can go to the Wainwright building and see one of the world's first um, skyscrapers or what counted as a skyscraper based on the way it was put together. You can see the amazing Eads Bridge, the world's first steel bridge over the river. There's just a lot of really fun things to do being at oh, the gateway gonna- to the West. Yeah, we're gonna have to hang out, Jonas. You know a lot more than uh, yeah, we we could go on and on with this podcast, yeah. sharing some of those. It's jazzes. funny. My first trip to St. Louis, um, I'm just you know fascinated by the river and all the history that goes along with it, and to know how many cool things are going on right there. It um, there's a reason that St. Louis is where it is, and there's a lot of uh, investment that's gone into it for, like you say, the last 170 years, um, which makes it a pretty fantastic spot. Which again. Not everyone would know if they're um, just zipping overhead to go to the national show or whatever else the event might be. But yeah, I always go out of my way to run through downtown to see the garden whenever I get a chance. And I've even seen an opera in St. Louis when I was in town. The timing ended up just right, which was kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about the city. Um, It's... uh, we could go on and on about it, uh, but I think it offers a lot of opportunities for people visiting uh, for the bonsai show. Um, it's a very straight shot from where the convention center is to the downtown area. And, you know, Jesse already mentioned breweries. Uh, there's the big AB brewery on one end of Soulard, bunch of really cool bars and nightclubs down on that. That's kind of like the, the river 
landing area that's cobblestone streets from where they used to bring in all the barges and stuff and river boats uh now it's kind of a really happening nightlife and that extends all the way north until the arch which just got redone has a beautiful kind of museum there and, and now a national park uh on its own and then so it's a of course there's the you know sporting uh aspect of the city as well too the yeah, it's May. baseball season will be on right <laughs> yeah baseball season. yep and there, there's a few new places that have opened up a place called the foundry and the armory which are kind of uh kind of open uh you know similar to the i don't remember the name the place that you recommended everybody go to near the expo that was you know there's a, a bunch of different food places and you kind of eat in a oh, central right, area right yeah the, the the foundry is a lot like that so you know it's pretty close to the venue and then the armory is kind of the a similar style but it's like yard game type things in a big old oh, armory building so it, it's a, a cool little experience as well to be in so there's a lot of fun places to hang out uh around the city um if you don't just spend all three days at the convention which <laughs> we're probably gonna end up doing but and you can go up in the arch and you could probably spot the convention center if you if you Ooh, look out yeah. the uh, right window yeah, I think that would. yeah. If you brave the little gondola going up in there, it's pretty. Oh, awesome. that thing is incredible. If you've never done that, <laughs> it's an experience. You feel like you're probably being launched into outer space. It it was designed in the '60s. It's incredible. Yeah, they basically send you up there in a wheelbarrow. Uh, <laughs> it is a. It is much smaller than you expect, <laughs> and it takes longer. It's it's uh, not for people who are. Um, claustrophobic yeah. or don't like relying on herky-jerky uh enclosed <laughs> contraptions yeah yeah just hope the person next to you showered yeah yeah speaking close of close quarters well what's the number one thing people can do to support the event right now i know that registration is open i know that workshop signups are open and you're still looking for um entries so uh, tell us what's the rundown of things that people can do right now to support the event well, the best thing I can tell people is to go to our website. It's bonsai-central.com. So www.bonsai-central.com. Uh, everything that we've been talking about is pretty much on the website. You can see a lot of pictures of the workshop material uh, if you click under that tab. Uh, and then right now we're really making a push to get as many entries into the show as possible trees kusumono suiseki uh, whatever you have all of those should be entered all we need is a few pictures and some contact info and we have an email account set up just for that uh, the email is submissions s-u-b-m-i-s-s-i-o-n-s at bonsai-central.com awesome yes so I think that's the the push right now. So I think if if uh, you know, especially after just being at the nationals myself, uh, you know, everyone was looking forward to that, uh, doing that, and a lot of high quality trees there. So uh, talking to different exhibitors there, um, the next phase is for those people, uh, you know, look at your trees, see what you want to submit, um, and submit, and we're uh, you know, so we're really looking forward to, to building that high quality 
uh, exhibition right now. So that's probably the big one thing is look through your garden, see what you might have ready for May, what looks good in May, uh, what you want to submit um, for that. So start planning. Uh, and then when you're ready, make those submissions. Yeah, winter winter is coming. And so there's going to be a couple of months for many of us where you're not really looking at your tree um, at eye level or in a, in a place where you feel like it's worth showing. So look at them now, make those plans. Um, we really want to make sure um, we're getting those submissions in as quickly as, as you can. Yeah, you reminded me of something there, Tim, that might be a good note to end on. You um, mentioned me at the national show and I'm curious, knowing that you're knee deep or maybe neck deep into planning this event, um, did you have any takeaways from the national things you do want to do or don't want to do or things that came to mind? And I guess I could go for all of you who are at the uh, expo. Um, last well, there's, year. there's one thing real quick, Tim was getting ready to grab the mic, but um, I, I wanted to mention it. I'm, I'm working with a gentleman who's actually a good friend of mine works uh, with the St. Louis art museum. Um, and he's very interested in helping us with a catalog. Uh, I feel like for me um, and for a number of people, you know, having a tree in a book or on display uh, with a, with a little write up on, you know, how it was developed or, or what you're thinking was in the design is a big deal. Uh, your catalog for the, the Pacific Expo was incredible. And I feel like uh, that's something we're really um, going to try to do. So we're in initial talks, really trying to figure out logistics of that, but uh, this guy's very excited to take it on and which I was kind of like, I really thought it needed to happen. I definitely was not excited to try to take it on. So <laughs> I'm glad we're having somebody who actually is not in the bonsai world necessarily, who actually, this is his world is design. And so he's looking at, uh, how we're going to do that. So that's, that's one thing I wanted to just say about that. My takeaway from both the expo and the national, I think it's a big deal, uh, to have those publications out there so we can remember, we can see, but also we can see the progress of these trees. Because a number of the trees that are on display here will have been shown before um, in other in other contexts, whether it's one of those two shows. Um, and it would be just amazing to be able to share in that. Um, in that. Yeah, and I think that, that kind of... Uh, that's important and just kind of highlights the fact that we've been sitting here talking for I don't know how long. And there's so many facets to this uh, that we could talk about. And I almost completely forgot about mentioning that, yeah, we're going to put a, a great book together that is highlighting all the uh, exhibited trees, Suiseki Kusumono as well, too. I know that's a big factor for a lot of people for wanting to participate. And I think just an awesome way that in America we've had uh, the nationals, um, commemorating each of the shows with that book. Uh, and now with the expo doing that and, um, us doing that, I'm hoping that, you know, it just gives us more opportunities to see these progressions, see American bonsai and really get that, you know, long-term catalog. And that's just another thing that, you know, amongst all this time talking that that's another factor that we didn't bring up. And I'm sure there's other things we're forgetting. Um, but uh, yeah, just really excited. And uh, yeah, I've got it with the Pacific Bonsai Expo and Nationals, both in fairly recent memories. There's definitely some uh, takeaways from that. I will say probably the biggest thing from Pacific Bonsai Expo, my takeaway was the quality of trees. There wasn't the quantity of trees that you'll see at other shows necessarily, but every single one was 
of the highest caliber. And that's where, when we talked earlier about quality over quantity, I think uh, we were all kind of a little inspired by what you did with the expo and how that turned out and how every tree you could just sit there and look at. And there wasn't uh, something that you looked at that doesn't, did not belong. And you're like, what is this doing here? You know, that, that, that was probably a huge takeaway from that. Um, as a club that can also be a double-edged sword because, you know, at our, at our annual show at the Japanese festival or any other shows we put on, you know, we tried to do as inclusionary as possible where we, you know, show trees that might not be quite at that quality level to, um, uh, you know, something that we might see in the expo or the national show or bonsai central. And so the double-edged sword with us is, you know, we'll be turning away some club trees that otherwise would get accepted and things like that. So it's a little bit of a tricky wicket, but we've all decided that that was super important to us to have um, the highest quality trees only and much more important than, um, you know, letting someone down easy that their tree didn't make the show. And I'll I'll say there's, there's no easy way around that one. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say specifically, since I'm uh, in charge of vending, uh, I made a lot of notes about uh, vending areas on, on both of those and how to do that. One of the ways I definitely want to utilize space, and this is a small thing, but to me, it actually, uh, I think is quite important is making sure the vendors have plenty of room and plenty of good <laughs> aisle space and how we arrange the vendors yes. so yes. that you don't have like you know don't put two people who you know are going to have big lines right next to each other for example yeah. chipped a pot now stand and he's really <laughs> he's really sore about it so. i might be a little bit uh as someone bumped into me passing by on a narrow aisle as well, i was, bought all his pots so. I, I might have i might have bought a few uh or so of now's pots but <laughs> i was in line and uh i don't think i was the only one but i was constantly kind of like trying to trying to shimmy with three pots in my hands and uh on of the 11 pots i bought from them one of them i had in uh in hand as i was getting ready to go up and pay for it uh in line i got kind of bumped and that bump led from one of the pots in one of my hands hitting another uh, one and chipping the pot that was a 400 uh, pot and I, I i bought it um you know i only thought that was fair i was holding it but uh it's one of those things where man that just that corner at nationals was so busy uh the one between Suthin and now and april grigsby um yeah that was an odd little eddy they were all really tightly packed in there they they were in that one the first couple hours of the of the opening was just crammed so i'm 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 definitely that's another aspect is making sure that um we have plenty of aisle space and people are at uh we space those things the most uh, sought after kind of vendors trying to space them out in ways that uh, make that easy. So we have a lot of space. We have, um, you know, vendor area that will be bigger than national. So we want to utilize that. And part of that will be just making sure that uh, our aisles are wide and um, we utilize that space effectively. Also with uh, the way that we set up the trees, I, I like the way that you did it uh, at uh Pacific Expo as well too, and making sure that you have adequate space for all the trees to show them to their best abilities. Uh, that's one of the benefits again about having uh, this convention hall where we have lots of space. We can provide 
plenty of um, space for those trees to go or Suiseki or uh, Kusumono where we're not just trying to cram a whole bunch next to each other. Um, and so, yeah, there, there is a lot of inspiration between all of that. I will say um, after being to nationals the last couple of times, um, me personally, I, I'm looking forward to having air conditioned space for that as well, too. I know nationals, <laughs> I know uh, Bill is looking at a new space for it as well, too, because of that uh, as well. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, takeaways. I think all of us have been to a number of conventions and uh, it just helps us better inform us on on how to how to do what uh, we're doing here. And it's a learning progress for us as well, too. I'm sure, if we continue to do this year after year or every few years, then we will uh, we'll hone in on that and get better as we go as well. And it's really good to share all of this because I know that folks listening will be able to have the same kind of takeaways. It's There are a lot of things that you just, that don't come to mind until you face them. Unless you're holding that pot, you're not going to think twice about how crowded that little corner of the room was, for instance. So Jonas, uh, yeah. you know, as we um, move on to things and one of the things that I think about and maybe is a good thing to discuss since, you know, you do the expo and we're working on this bonsai central thing is it seems within maybe the last decade, but certainly over the last couple of decades, the community has exploded in, and you can see that in many ways, both from the amount of interest that's coming in on a daily basis from different sources. Uh, but also, you know, a while, not so long ago, you were one of the few really well done blogs that were out there. And now everywhere I look, I see a new one that I hadn't even heard of or a new YouTube channel that is making really high quality videos that, um, you know, before that moment were unbeknownst to me. So I guess moving towards the convention side of thing is I want to get your opinion about how many, you know, high quality shows on a per annum basis do you think that the U.S. could support now? And do you think that's would move upwards in the future? And just want to get your thoughts on that a little bit. Well, I think it's really interesting when you look at the community as a whole and what kind of events it's looking to support. My biggest takeaway from having done a single show, at least according to this model, is that this show will continue to exist as long as there is support for it. And so unless a lot of people care a lot about, you know, kind of sharing and enjoying high quality trees, the event will just disappear. Now, there could be another event that's similar or meets the needs of people, but I think there really could be any number of events. It's more about matching the event to the people. I agree. Bonsai has exploded in the last 10 years or has been exploding and interest is really high. And I think one of the biggest reasons for that is simply because we have more support in the community. There are more vendors, there are more professionals, there are more learning opportunities than there were. Um, I mean, you remember, so 20 years ago, we didn't have half of the resources. There weren't bottomless videos we could do. There weren't online courses and there weren't a ton of Japanese trained professionals all over the country, let alone Europeans flying in. And so that support has allowed things to blossom. I think the events are gonna be a reflection of really what people like and 
Interestingly, I think the more that you are able to provide an example of what a great event could look like, I think the more there will be desire for that, more of that kind of event in the future. And I think Bonsai Central might actually be evidence of that in itself. You're like, wow, the National is really cool. And oh, wow, now the West Coast has one. Hey, let's do this. Yeah, that, that's a good point. You know, those were certainly, we have a long history of having some conventions in the area, but we really kind of broadened the horizons and started looking at it more of a national thing instead of a regional thing uh, due to those examples that you're mentioning. So it's good to hear that, you know, you also agree that uh, one doesn't necessarily dilute the other and that, uh, you know, they're sort of different experiences and it's kind of what the community desires or requires or needs that's kind of fueling the um, fueling the events themselves. So we're really excited to hold this convention and uh, have everybody come out. We want it to be kind of like a meeting place as well, because as you mentioned, it's a little bit of a drive to get anywhere in the Midwest, really. And so it's really going to serve as a place where we can see all of our old friends and um, chat about tiny trees and pots and uh, what we plan to do with them in the next three years before two years between when we get together again. So it's the best. Yeah. yeah. The, mid the Midwest has long been kind of an open question for me because, you know, we have kind of a locus, we have a place to go to in the national show and we're trying to do something similar in the West. And so whether it's a moving thing or if possible, a stationary thing where people just know, Hey, it's this month, we know where to go. And you provide that. I think that's when things really start increasing. And the history of the national show, if you look through the history of the books, it's just really easy to see it built slowly for the first number of events and it built in quality really quickly in the more recent events. And I think that's what happens when you start um, providing that place for people to go. It's like, we know where to go shopping. We know where to show off our best work and we know where to see the people we most want to see and the reason i went to the national this year i just went very last minute just for two days really was to pretty much just catch up with people and i got to talk with tim and i got to talk with a whole lot of folks it was fantastic but that is kind of the main reason i wanted to go i wanted to see some trees see some people and uh just uh, enjoy what is to offer and so i think the mid the middle of the country needs something to address that needs and i think bonsai central is an awesome step in that direction well we appreciate all those kind words and uh we hope to throw on an event that everybody really enjoys well awesome anything else you have to add for folks today no i don't think anybody's going to be disappointed i just say uh check out our website um you know, give us, get in touch with us. Let us, let us know any questions you have. Uh, we're just really excited to be putting this on. Um, and, you know, we're still learning as we go too. you know, things, things are uh, evolving and changing even as we think about it. And I know this conversation today uh, really got our, our blood flowing on some of those um, things. And, you know, I'm already actually like, not that I really want to do it myself, but uh, thinking about <laughs> what's going to happen two years from now. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll all have that conversation with some beers very soon. Well, thank you so much, Jesse, Jesse, Nathan, and Tim for taking the time to chat today. This has been great. Yeah, thank you, Jonas. Thank you, Jonas. Nice chatting with you. And thanks for all you do for the community, Jonas. Yeah, definitely.
Oh, you're very welcome. We'll, we'll catch up soon. Thanks. The music on today's podcast was brought to you by the fine folks at Blue Dot Sessions. Check them out at www.sessions.blue. Well, that was fantastic. Thank you all so much. Yeah, are we still recording? <laughs> <laughs> oh, if, yeah, I can uh, definitely turn that off. No, <laughs> no it's fine. We're just-